Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Last week we began a brand new series called Family Tree. And we looked at two observations from Genesis chapter 1. The first one being this, is that we will only bear fruit in our likeness. So our offspring, they will be in our likeness. We can only bear fruit in our likeness. And, and number two, God created us to be like fruit trees, to be fruitful and multiply. Whoever we are, however we live our lives, we are planting seeds of either righteousness or unrighteousness. You're planting seeds in your family of righteousness or unrighteousness. And the harvest in our family's lives will depend on our influence. And so we, we must feel the, the weight of that. We, we must feel the responsibility of that. I've never been one to, to push my children into things that they're not interested in. Um, some of you would probably disagree with me. But I feel like Mandy and I have done a, a pretty good job. Well, except for like family, like road trips. Growing up, they had no choice. They had to listen to 80s rock. I mean, come on. It's, it's what dad enjoys. So they, they grew up listening to, to good old 80s rock. Um, by the way, that was the, the best decade of music in the history of music. It's not up for debate. I mean... I don't need your emails. No, I, it, just, it just is. It's factual. And, uh, and, and so they, they, they didn't have a choice in that. They had to grow up listening to that, and they know a lot of 80s songs. And you know what? Now that I think about it, they also, they were made to go to church. They, they, were, they were made to go to church. And I know you're thinking, well, they were raised in a pastor's home. Yeah. And they were made to go. To, I guess we were dictators, I, I, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they were. They were made to go to church. And... Um, but for the most part, with extracurricular activities outside of church, we, we really didn't force their hand. We didn't force them to do, you know, uh, or, or to take interest in things that we like. Um, I, I know that when Caleb was just a small child, just four years old, we started him playing in a soccer league in Tampa. And, and it was a large, it was a well-known, it was called the Plantation Soccer League. It was in a subdivision there in Tampa, large soccer fields and, and just dozens of teams playing at the same time. And parents from all over Tampa would bring their kids to be a part of this league. And I remember Caleb's first year, he's four years old. Um, and if you ever see four-year-olds play soccer, it's just like, I don't know, I, I, want, to, I want to be careful. It's, it's like flies on and it, they just follow it wherever it goes, you know. <laughs> wherever the ball's at, they're all, they don't know positions. But Caleb, Caleb's team was a little different because right before the season was about to begin, they didn't have a coach. I don't know if their coach went AWOL, didn't, you know, looked at a bunch of four-year-olds and thought, well, you know, it's four- and five-year-olds, looked at them and just said, no, I don't, I don't want any part of this. But regardless of how it all went down, the, the coordinator of the soccer league, he was forced to coach Caleb's team. And, and this guy was from another country, and later we would find out he played on their, their national soccer team at one time. So this guy was remarkable at soccer. He was great, and as you can imagine, Caleb learned so much that first year. And, and after that first year, Mandy and I became soccer parents for the next 10 years. The next 10 years of our lives, we would spend on the soccer field, playing, I mean, just attending and watching a lot of soccer games. And, and Caleb became pretty good at it. He, he became a pretty good soccer player, and, and he even played here in Newberry. He played rec league in Newberry, got up to middle school, and, and uh, he played for our very own Coach Warner in middle school. And, and, and all through middle school, Caleb played soccer in the fall, and he would play basketball in the winter. 
You don't know how thankful I was that he would play basketball in the winter. Trust me, I needed a break from soccer at some point, but, but Caleb was good at it. And so all through middle school, he, he, he played soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, and then came high school. And in high school, unfortunately, the, the two seasons, they coincide at the same time. You can't play soccer and basketball. It just doesn't work. It, it, they, they happen at the same time. So now, in high school, Caleb, in ninth grade, he had to make a decision. Am I going to play soccer or am I going to play basketball? And I did the responsible dad thing. I, I really did. Some of you, you, you think I'm lying about this. I did not push him towards basketball. Um, I, I tried to make sure that it wasn't my influence that was causing him to, to make this decision. And, and Caleb very quickly made a decision. I'm going to play basketball. And, and I'll, I'll remember this. I sat him down and I said, son, to be honest with you, I know that you're going to start varsity in ninth grade because you're that good at soccer. There's, there's no doubt. You're, you're going you're gonna to start varsity in ninth grade. But son, I've seen you play basketball. And I'm not even sure you're going to make the JV team in basketball. Now, you laugh right now, but, but, but Caleb, will take, he'll take all of you in basketball now. It's, it's a different story now. He can, take, he can take everybody in this room except for me. But I'm dad, and I'm never going to admit that he can beat me in basketball. And I'll foul him. I'll do whatever I have to. He will not beat me in basketball. You know what I mean, BJ. You know what I'm talking about. It will not happen, okay? But back then, I wasn't so certain, and, and Caleb made the decision, no, I'm going to try out for the basketball team. I said, if you try for the basketball team, soccer will already, you know, it, it would have started already, and son, there's no guarantee. He said, no, I'm going to play basketball. I said, okay. And he assured me that this was his choice and that dad was not influencing him, that dad was not forcing him. I, I promise you, I did everything I could to try and, and even discourage him probably. But, but think about this. Think about the influence that, that I had over my son. He, he would watch me watch sports on TV. Do you know how many basketball games I have watched on TV this week? I, I mean, I was always watching basketball on TV. Do you know how many soccer games I've watched in my lifetime on TV? Zero, zilch, none. The only soccer I've ever watched on TV are Sports Center top 10 highlights. And those are amazing, but you have to watch like five soccer games, start to finish, to get one of those highlights, okay? I don't want to offend anyone in the room that enjoys soccer, but I'm just telling you, he watched me watch basketball on TV. Dad has autographs of famous basketball players in his office. I mean, Larry Bird. I've got two Larry Birds. I've got you know a Billy Donovan signed basketball. I've I've got a Celtics signed basketball by the whole, whole 94, 95 team. Uh, a picture of me and Caleb and Magic Johnson. I mean, he 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 knows what's in my office. Do you know how many autographs I have of famous soccer players? Do you know how many famous soccer players I know? None. I can't name one. You could put a million dollars right there and say, if you name one soccer player, I'm going to say Pedro, because one of them has to be named Pedro, right? <laughs> so I'm going to say that, just, you know, but I, dad played high school soccer. I mean, basketball, God forgive me. <laughs> dad played high school basketball. Dad did not play high school soccer. And when I would go to his basketball games, dad 
cheered louder than anyone else in the gym. Dad yelled at referees louder than anybody else in the gym. Dad was involved in the basketball game. But when I went to his soccer games, I watched intently just trying to figure out what the offsides rule really was all about because it doesn't make sense to me. And I still, 10 years plus of watching soccer, I still don't understand it. Why are you penalized for being the fastest guy on the team? When you can outrun everybody else with the ball and they say you're offside, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. But so it would be foolish for me to think that I didn't influence him, not necessarily by my words, but by my actions, that I influenced him to fall in love with the game of basketball. And as parents, what we do on and off the court has the ability to influence our children. Your work ethic has the ability to influence your children. Your commitment to your family, it has the ability to influence your children. Your commitment to your marriage will influence your children. And what you value is what they will also value. Nobody ever looks at their new youngborn baby and, and thinks to themselves, you know, when you grow up, you pretty little thing, I sure hope you become an alcoholic. It's ridiculous, right? No one ever looks at their small child and says, oh, I hope you become addicted to drugs, you pretty little thing, you. No one ever says, you know, one, one day I hope, my child, that you work long hours and neglect your marriage and just become a workaholic, you cute little thing. No one ever says I, I, to their child, I, I hope you become an adulterer. Oh, it gets heavy, doesn't it? No one ever looks at their, at their son and, and, and says, I'm going to do my very best to teach you to be an absent dad or, or a deadbeat mom. We don't think these things through. We want the fruit of our children's lives to be successful. But are we willing to cultivate, are we willing to put forth the effort, the work that it requires to bring forth that fruit out of their lives? The hopes and dreams that we have for our children. Sometimes they're, they're just forgotten about. They're, they're, they're just laid by the wayside and, and, and we just move on and we, 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 we just begin settling along the way. And, and sometimes, I, I hate this, I hate it. Part of today is me venting, okay? But, but sometimes we just chalk it up to personality. Well, it's just the way God made them. As if that's an excuse for their behavior. God just made them a strong-willed child. We have to deal with them differently. Oh, I know I'm stepping on all kinds of toes today. I'm going to. God just made my child. And my child is just, it's my, this, this particular child is different than all the rest. Yeah, they're all different from each other. We're all different from each other. We're all wired differently than each other. There's, there's certain things that set me off. Apparently, parenting is one of them. But certain things set me off that, that don't set you off and vice versa. We're just, we're different. We're, we're individuals. He created us as individuals. And sometimes we, we make up these excuses. God just made my child that way. Listen, he, we were all born sinners. But God loves us too much to leave us that way. And your child, no matter how precious you think they are, they were born sinners. Now, we know grace covers them until an age of accountability, which, by the way, a few years ago, there was a rumor going around town that I didn't believe that if babies 
died, God forbid, that they went to heaven. That, seriously? We know they're covered by his grace until they reach an age of accountability. We understand that. But we have to be willing to put forth the work in our children and not make up excuses for them because God's put us in their lives to help lead them to the cross of Christ. That is our responsibility as parents, and we should not have to put that on anyone else. It's a poor excuse for behavioral issues. Don't blame God. Take the responsibility that he put on your life and lead your children. Maybe you were raised in an environment that facilitated poor behavioral conduct. Maybe your father cheated on your mom or your mom cheated on your father. Maybe one or both of your parents drank too much. And maybe growing up, uh, work was more important to, to your mom or your dad than the family was. And in these situations, if we will allow God to work in our lives, it, it's only by his grace that we can learn from those mistakes and not allow them to control us and influence not only us, but the generation to come after us. I have no doubt whatsoever. I understand this, and I'm perfectly comfortable with it, but I have no doubt that I am in ministry today because of my father, who was a pastor, and also my grandfather on my mother's side, who was a pastor also. There's no doubt that they influenced my life. I, I, I can assure you that I am not daddy called, as, as someone has once said about me and my brother being in ministry. Are, are you daddy called? I, I know I'm not daddy called. I know that God called me into the, into the ministry, but I most certainly was influenced by my father. My dad loved the church. There was never a doubt about that. My dad loved the church, and he dedicated his life to serving the church. But I also remember a season that my dad served the church at the expense of his family. I praise God that my dad learned from those early mistakes. But there was a time that dad served the church at the expense of his family, and, and I was able to learn from some of those mistakes and not, not repeat those mistakes in, in my own family's lives. I recently had a, a, a new pastor on my region. I oversee a group of churches in this area, and a new pastor that, that, that is, is just coming into this one particular church, he he called me and he, he said, I, I wouldn't mind you know, if maybe we could spend some time together and I could just, just pick your brain a little bit. He's a first-time pastor. He's a youth pastor going into um, uh, the pastoral role for the first time, just like I did, you know, coming out of an, an associate role, going into the lead pastor position. He said, can I, can I just, you know, maybe we can have lunch and I can pick your brain a little bit, which is scary. Like, who wants to pick this thing, you know? But he said, can I, can I pick your brain a little bit? And, and I, I said, Sure. Sure. I said, I'd love to share with you our, our many mistakes that we made and what not to do in ministry. And it, it was half jokingly, but, but we should learn from other people's mistakes and not replicate them. And, and if, if we will, through his grace, God will allow us to learn from our parents' mistakes so that we don't make those same mistakes. But all too often, we just get caught in that rut. And, and, and we just follow these generational Mistakes that just happen over and over and over. Today, I want us to look at a young man's life that, that could have gone either direction. His name was Timothy. We're going to be reading the second letter of Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy. And it, it's, it's by the grace of God that, that young Timothy became a great leader in the early New Testament church. God used him in some great ways. But, but, but it took some time to get there. 
there, there were some things that had to happen. There was a foundation in his life that had to be set in order for God to use him in a very special way. So 2 Timothy, we're going to start with chapter 1, then we're going to go down to chapter 3. But I want to read the first six verses of chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. Paul is writing this letter, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your, your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now we go to chapter 3. Verses 14 and 15. As Paul continues his letter, listen to the words that he says to young Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's important that we recognize here that 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 Paul acknowledges the fact that from a very young age that Timothy was acquainted, he was taught the sacred writings of the Old Testament. He knew the book. Like trees, people tend to grow or not grow in the field where they are planted. I can assure you of this, that everybody in this room you were planted in a field. At one time in your life, you were planted in a field. And, and, and for some of you, it was a, a field that you could flourish in. You could grow spiritually. But yet for others of you, you were planted in a field that it, it, it caused a, a malnourishment and it, and it stunted your spiritual growth. This past week, Pastor Scott and, and Emery Daltrey here, they, uh, they planted a tree. Emery had a, a, an oak tree that uh, he said that he could give to the church and, and it was still in, in the pot and he said, I'll, I'll bring it by and, and you, you tell me where to plant it. And so it made sense to us in our minds to go right behind this building between here and where the, the future student center is going to be built because eventually there's going to be a, a playground there. And so we thought we'll, we'll put it there and you know, in 20 years after we've um, replaced the playground equipment five times, um, there will be a nice big oak tree there to produce shade, you know, because there's, there's no trees right there. And it, it, it looked like a good plan, and that is until Emory got here with the tree, and him and Pastor Scott started digging in the ground back there, and, and Emory informed us that it was not good soil. It, this, this tree was not going to flourish there. It's too much clay. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just not a good place for, for this oak tree. And so we ended up moving it to the west side of the building over here. You'll see it next to the retention pond. I'm not sure the ground is any better there, but, but it was better than there. Because the, the ground is important. Wherever the tree is planted, it must be fertile soil. You, you need to ask yourself, this parents, listen to me. Ask yourself, what are the soil conditions for my family? Where I have my family planted, does it facilitate spiritual growth or does it stunt our spiritual growth? Am I creating an environment where my family can thrive or am I creating an environment 
that hinders us growing. One of the most heartbreaking things for me to see as a pastor, and I'm serious with it, this is what brings me to tears. If you want to know what really, really just, just challenges me emotionally, it's, it's when I see God move in a family's life and, 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 and that moment that we get to see them all together worshiping. Man, it, it is such a miracle that takes place. And then the heartbreaking side of that is, is the family grows, they mature, and then someone just loses interest in how it begins to affect the entire family. Their kids love coming to church and they have good Christian friends and influences. For the first time in their marriage, even dad likes attending church. Now he's involved and he's serving and, and wants to be here. Mom has even developed friendships, relationships that, that, that are going to be there for her for the rest of her life. But then it happens. Something causes them, either together or one or the other, one of them loses interest or both of them loses interest. And, and there are other things that are vying for their time or, 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 or this one. They, they get upset about, about something. And rather than deal with it like an adult, rather than handle it the way that Christ instructed us to handle it, man, listen to me. This, this is our immediate church family. And there are ways that we deal with things. And Christ gave us the example of this. He said, when you have a problem with someone, you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. Don't sow discord. You go to them and you talk to them about it. How many times have we seen it where someone gets, gets upset? Something rubs them the wrong way. And rather than doing the mature Christian thing to do, they take their family and they uproot their family out of a place where they are growing and they are thriving. And they make eternal decisions over very temporal circumstances. And they have no idea how this is going to affect their family. And what crushes me as a pastor is that I have to stand on the sideline from a distance and I watch the demise of their family. And it, and it troubles me. Because I know that God put them in a place for them to grow and mature, but they stopped looking at the big picture and the big goal that's at the end of this thing and how we want our children to be when they reach that place of maturity. Their kids struggle to make good decisions. Their marriage begins to struggle. I've seen it time and time again. They lose contact with people that God put in their life. Don't, don't negate the relationships that God has put in your life. There are people in this room that I will be in connection with for the rest of my life here on earth, and when this life is over with, we will spend eternity in heaven because in heaven we will be known as we were known, and I know that these are eternal relationships. Why don't we treat them like that? Because this is where God put us. And as parents, we must be careful not to uproot our families from the fertile soil that God has planted them in. Because if we're not planted in grace-filled soil, then we must find it and plant ourselves and our families in it. Young Timothy. Timothy was not raised by a believing father. According to Acts chapter 16... 
His mom was a believing Jew. That's how it describes her. She was a believing Jew, and his dad was a Greek. This, this makes him biracial. So mom was a believer. Dad was not. Mom was a Jew. His dad was a Greek. And his father was not a spiritual leader for him to follow. We are not even sure that his father was present in his life because later, Paul never mentions anything about his father. What we do know is this. We know that, that his mother Eunice and, and his grandmother Lois, they carried the responsibility of raising him in a godly home. How many of you are thankful for praying moms and praying grandmothers? Amen? That even when the spiritual leadership of your home was struggling and suffering, God still had a praying mom and a praying grandmother. Listen, I will never negate that. There is something to be said about praying moms and praying grandmothers. But he, he did not have that spiritual father in his life. But just because his biological father failed him spiritually, it does not mean that God failed him spiritually. Like I've seen so many times, When you're missing a godly influence in your life, a, a spiritual father in your life, in your home, how many times have we watched as God puts a man or a woman in your life with spiritual maturity to grow you? God will never leave you as some spiritual orphan. He will bring along someone to sow into you, to correct you, to guide you. You will never be left without a spiritual father or a spiritual mother if you will just listen to the voice of God. Paul most likely met this family on his first missionary journey when he came to the city of Lystra where, where, where they lived, which is modern-day Turkey. And, and it was a society that was heavily influenced by Greek gods and religion. Timothy grew up in a city that was heavily influenced by Greek gods and religion. At the entrance to their city, there was a temple that was dedicated to Zeus. This is where he was raised. Then right outside that temple, there was also a statue of Hermes, the Greek god, that, that they believed protected the heralds, the messengers, the travelers, and the merchants. When Paul and Barnabas came to Lystra, Paul laid his hands on a crippled man and he healed him. And all the citizens of the city, they, they started proclaiming this. This is how ingrained that they were with, with Greek gods and religion. When they witnessed this miracle take place, they started declaring that, that Barnabas, who was Paul's traveling partner at the time, they started declaring that Barnabas was Zeus and that Paul was Hermes. They started declaring deity over them because that's all that they knew. And it's right there in your Bible. They started just saying that like, you're Zeus and you're Hermes. And, and Timothy was raised in this society that was anything but Christian. But through the direction of his mom and his grandmother's faith, God put a man in his life that would mentor him and influence him to become the man of God that God called him to be. Paul Paul kept him accountable and, and provided disciplined guidance for young Timothy. Paul taught Timothy the importance of becoming all things to all men so that you might save some. This was a, a, a life lesson that Paul grabbed hold of and, 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 and he, he wanted to help him understand that. That 
In an effort to evangelize and spread the gospel of Jesus, sometimes you have to do things and, and become like people. Become all things to all, just so that you can earn their trust. And this is painful. This is painful. You're not going to like what I'm about to tell you, especially the men in the room. But as painful as it sounds, Paul led Timothy to be circumcised so that he could have a greater influence among the Jews in the synagogue. You want me to what? And the reason why is he did not want Timothy's Greek heritage to be a stumbling block for the people that God was going to put in his path that he could share the gospel with. So if the question ever came up, is he a practicing Jew? We know that his mama was a Jew, but his dad was Greek. Is he a practicing Jew? If we're going to listen to what he has to say, he's got to be a practicing Jew. Is he a practicing Jew? And the sign of the covenant for a Jew was circumcision. And he said, yeah, absolutely. He removed that stumbling block. There's, there's no excuse now he could stand before them in their synagogues. Sometimes, church, I wonder if we teach our children the importance of eliminating certain things from our lives and routines in order for them to be a greater influence. And just like first service, you didn't get it. Because sometimes, moms and dads, we're so stuck on our likes and our wants that we're not even realizing that we can't influence spiritually. So why would we be concerned about that with our children? I'm going to read it to you again. Sometimes I wonder if we teach our children the importance of eliminating certain things from our lives and routines in order for them to be a greater influence. What I'm about to share with you, I want you to understand, I've searched the scriptures through and through looking for scripture to, to prove that drinking alcohol is a sin. Okay, now what I'm about to do is I'm about to walk you into our convictions in our home and, and I'm not forcing that on anyone in this room, okay? So I need you to understand what I'm about to tell you. Mandy and I had a very clear goal with our children. There are no scriptures that say that drinking alcohol is sinful. There, there, there is a scripture that does say being drunk on much wine is sinful. So getting drunk is sinful. But we raised our children to understand that drinking alcohol in and of itself is not sinful. But we also helped them realize that in order to speak life into a home that is in turmoil because of alcohol then it's worth us eliminating it from our lives. You have no idea, church, the homes. Some of you are in this room right now. The homes that I have to speak into weekly and monthly and the struggles that they have, and I watch as, as alcohol is tearing these homes apart. So I'll tell you this. As for me and my house, that is not part of our life. It's not part of our routine. And we told our kids that sometimes you have to cut away those desires in order for you to reach someone else. Just as Paul told Timothy, you need to be circumcised in, in order for you to reach the Jews. This is important. So we told our kids we're going to eliminate that from our lifestyle. That's, that's not going to be a part of us. It's not going to be what we do. And the main reason is because we want to be able to invest and speak into lives that are being destroyed by it. I'll tell you this. The people that are up on this stage, same requirement for them. Because they're not going to stand up here and lead people in worship. And then become a stumbling block for someone when they see them in a restaurant 
and, and, and now all of a sudden, dad or mom has the excuse because the worship leader had that same excuse. It's not going to happen. We take our, our ministry very seriously around here. And again, I'm not pushing that on everyone and, and those in the church that hold positions that, 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 that is required. They understand it. We've gone through it. I, listen, I remember this, this young woman that, that, that she loved God. She did. She had a relationship with Christ. She was new in her faith and had a relationship with Christ. And, and she, she wanted to be a part of our worship band. And I was excited. I mean, anytime there's new talent, I, I was excited about it. And, and uh, there, there, was, there was one problem with the whole situation. It, it's, it's that she was playing gigs in places that were not family-friendly. Let's just put it that way. It was not family-friendly. Places where I know that marriages were being destroyed because of the atmosphere. Homes were crumbling because of that atmosphere. The problem was that these little side gigs were making her money, money that she needed to live by. And so I had a meeting with her, and I began to explain to her our policy on this and, 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 and why this is so important. And as I began to, to, to coach her and to help her through this, I realized she's, she's still got to play somewhere. And so we started talking about it, and, and what we eventually did is we got her in places that were family-friendly atmospheres before she ever stepped foot on a stage and began to lead worship. Sometimes the young Timothys live in our homes. Mom, Dad, don't you neglect those young Timothys. Sometimes they're in our homes, but sometimes God sends them into our circle of influence. There, there is not one person in this room that should not be influencing someone else with the message of Jesus Christ and discipling someone else. It, it's been a while since I've taught this, but, but it, 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 it's good for me to mention it right now. But you should have three relationships in your life. I believe this is New Testament relationships right here. You need three relationships in your life. The first one you need is you need a Barnabas. Paul had Barnabas, someone that mentored him, someone that took him by the hand and said, let me show you ministry. Let me show you how to live life. You need a Barnabas in your life, someone you can look up to spiritually. The next person you need is you need a Paul. You're Paul, and you need a Paul. You need someone that, that is on, on, on equal ground with you, a, a colleague. You need someone who is a comrade in the Lord with you. They're going through some of the same struggles you are, someone that you can bounce uh, your, your hurt, your pain, and, and even your, your, your celebrations off of. You need someone that you can look to. So you need someone you can look up to. You need someone to look to. And then you need a Timothy in your life. You need someone that will look up to you that you can guide, that God can use you to bring spiritual discipline into their lives. Paul had Timothy. God put Timothy in his life, and thank God that, 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 that Paul saw the, 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 the anointing that was on his life, and thank God that he stepped through the door and said, I will take this young man under my wing, and I will mentor him. And Timothy was a young minister and was catching some criticism because of his age. I can relate to that because 14 and a half years ago, well, it's getting closer to 15 years, but 14 plus years ago when we planted this church, I was 14 years younger. Thank you for not amening there. 
Okay, I'm much older now. I get it. But 14 years ago, there were, there were pastors looking at me going, you have no idea what you're doing, and they're probably right. There were people who were very critical. There, there, were, there were church members that were critical as I was learning how to be a pastor of a church. Then there's some of you that, man, you're just filled with God's grace and you've, you've grown and matured with me as I've grown and matured. Timothy was facing some of that criticism. He was a young minister and there was some criticism coming at him about his age. And in, in Paul's first letter to Timothy in, in chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, he says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. He said, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Don't let them look down on you. God's called you to this, Timothy. When Paul felt like Timothy was being influenced by wolves in sheep's clothing, listen to what he said to him in his first letter, chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. He said, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted you with or entrusted to you. Listen to what he says. He said, avoid godless, foolish discussions. Let me tell you what the enemy is clever at. He will paint a, a, a conversation that seems spiritual to you but it will be godless and it will be a foolish discussion. And, and he told Timothy, he said, avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. Paul, Paul loved Timothy enough to have those hard conversations to keep him focused. And mom and dad, I love you enough to have these hard conversations with you. Be careful. When someone starts influencing you to walk away from church, to walk away from where God has planted you, be careful. I would rather stay too long where God planted me than to abruptly pull the roots of my family up and relocate them to God knows where. This investment in young Timothy, being able to have those hard conversations to bring discipline and correction and encouragement to his life, it paid off. He accompanied Paul on, on numerous missionary journeys. While in prison, Paul wrote four of his epistles. And he starts three of them telling them that Timothy is here with me. That means three different times, at least three different times, Timothy was in prison with Paul. You don't think that he was rubbing off on him? You don't think he was becoming the fruit of this man? It wasn't his, 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 his biological son, but man, this was his spiritual son and he was becoming like Paul. Listen to how Paul speaks about young Timothy to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. He says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. He said, I have no one else like Timothy 
who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Don't you hope that one day they can say that about you? All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. God, let them speak about me like this. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. Church Catholic tradition suggests that Timothy died a martyr's death at the age of 80. Defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. History tells us that uh, he would become a pastor in Ephesus. The Catholics would refer to him as the Bishop of Ephesus. And there was a time when they were having a, a pagan parade down through the streets. Now Timothy, once a young man, now he was an old man at 80 years old. Standing for what he believed in. And as he opposed this pagan parade, they began to beat him. They drug him through the streets and stoned him to death. He got it. This young kid, without a spiritual father, but a praying mom and a praying grandmother, and a spiritual father that God allowed to adopt him. And for years, Paul invested in him, and he got it. As far as we know, Paul didn't have any children of his own. But we know that he had a spiritual son in Timothy. And he got it. He was willing to give it all for the cause of Christ. If I don't get it, if, if, if I don't get anything else right in my life, If I fail as a pastor, if I fail at anything that I try to succeed at in my life, if, if, I, if I don't get any of that right, God, please let me get this right. I want my children to be willing to give it all for the cause of Christ. That they won't worry about what anyone else says. They won't worry about blending in. That they'll give it all up for the cause of Christ. But the only way that that happens is through the spiritual influence that God has placed in their lives. I want to go back to the beginning because there's something significant that, that made Timothy the way that he was. It's where it all started, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 that we read earlier. 
Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your, your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And then this traveling preacher comes by, and they convince him to take Timothy under his wing. And that was the field where God planted him. The fruit of his life flourished because of a godly mother and grandmother and a man that said, I will be your spiritual father. Mom, dad, where do you have your young Timothys planted? Do you have them planted in an environment that facilitates spiritual growth or do you have them planted in an environment that stunts their spiritual growth? I I never want to walk away from a sermon like this and and you think, walk out of here thinking, well, man, he he thinks they're just perfect. I, I can assure you we're not. And, and the biggest part of this is a responsibility that Mandy and I knew that we had on our lives to raise our children, that, that all of us have. But one of the best decisions that we ever made was to plant our children in an environment that facilitated spiritual growth. That was here at this church. And I know, I know, you're the pastor. Your kids have to be planted here. I'll tell you this. We've given up other opportunities to remain here and keep our family planted here. Because this matters. This is where God planted my family. And I'm so thankful that he did. Because since they were young, there have been people that have invested in them within this body of believers that have looked at my children and expected more out of them. There's an accountability that comes when you're part of an immediate church family. You do understand that this is our immediate church family. This is our immediate spiritual family. This is us. Next week, we'll talk about the the global family, okay? The extended family. But this is us. And being part of this body of believers, it added accountability. Listen, I know the accountability that's on my life. You don't think me looking at you every week and seeing your eyes look back at me, you don't think it holds me accountable? It makes Rocky make better decisions in public. I know that that same accountability has been felt by my children because they know that you're watching them. You want your children in an environment that brings accountability to them. There have been young men and women Young adults that, that took my children under, under their wing and, 
encouraged them and supported them. Friendships that were developed and they accepted them. There's older men and women that have invested in my children, sometimes just through simple conversation. One of them was a man that was sitting in first service this morning that I remember that he would just simply have conversations with my son about Gator basketball. Took him to Gator games. Invested in him. When my children were raising money to go on mission trips just to be a part of doing something global, there's many of you that supported them financially to help get them there. Some of you traveled with them. This is the soil that God planted my family in. And man, when he started bringing people in to be a part of their lives, I am so thankful that he did. And I promise you, it's not just because of who I am. This is our immediate family. And God puts our families together like this for the purpose of us bearing fruit. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.